Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. We have recently moved our Sunday services and midweek connect groups online to help stop the spread of coronavirus. Join us for Church at Home this Sunday by logging on to christchurchlondon.online.church at 10am, 11am, 5pm, 7pm or 8pm for worship, prayer and our weekly sermon. We're now going to hear the talk from this week's Church at Home service. Today's reading is from Galatians 5, verses 22 to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Hi Christchurch London, it's really good to be able to speak with you today. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Joel. I lead our two services here in East London in Bethnal Green. I'm actually just 10 minute walk from our two locations, the places we normally gather on a Sunday. I really miss my Bethnal Green community and of course the wider church family as well. Really hope you can see each other again soon. Dee and Isaac send their love as well. Uh, Isaac won't be on screen today, unfortunately. I'm told that when Isaac's on screen, no one listens to a word I'm saying. So I thought that wouldn't be the best thing to do today, but I'm sure you'll see him over the next few weeks and months. We are nearing the end of a sermon series we have called Good Fruit, where we've looked at the fruits of the Spirit and how we see those outworked in the life and character of Jesus. And today we're going to be looking at kindness. Now, kindness is a really interesting fruit of the Spirit. We read in 1 Corinthians that Paul uses kindness to describe love. Love is kind. And yet both love and kindness are called out as fruits of the Spirit. And so I've been wondering, why mention kindness? Why not just say love and allow that to speak for itself with all of the qualities and characteristics that that brings to mind? And as I've been reflecting on this through the life and character of Jesus, it's just so evident that kindness was just a huge part of who Jesus was in his interactions with people and his relationships. Jesus is known pretty much by everyone within and outside of the church as being kind. In fact, a well-known old poem describes Jesus as meek and mild. There's this perception that Jesus is a kind person. But there's also something kind of paradoxical about this view of Jesus. Because Jesus isn't just kind, He's also all-powerful. He's the Son of God. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He has all the might, all of the worth, all of the majesty. And yet how he outworked that is so different to what we would expect. He didn't outwork his power through domination or oppression or violence, but instead sacrificial, loving kindness. Now for us, the teaching of Jesus is so embedded in our culture that it's really easy to miss the unique teachings and ways of being that he called into action. And I think this one might actually be the most profound, this idea of an all-powerful God who also happens to be kind. Now Jesus lived in the time of the Roman Empire. Power was expressed through violence, through domination, through military victory, and there were symbols of that everywhere. Statues of Caesar in military clothes showing the might and power of the Roman Empire. And perhaps the most powerful symbol of all was the cross. The convicted traitor or criminal hanging on a cross on the side of, a, of the road in public view, showing the full shame of what they'd done uh, to show the power of Rome, to, to say this is what happens when you mess with the power of the Roman Empire. And even the great Greek philosophers had the view that only the educated or the wise should have power. 
And both Roman and Greek gods, they, they weren't loving or kind. They were selfish, they were vindictive, they were revengeful. And worship to those gods was more as a way of kind of appeasing them rather than any form of recipro reciprocal love relationship. Power in those times was expressed through domination and violence, not through kindness. In all of that comes this peasant from a nowhere town, Jesus of Nazareth, claiming to be the son of God. By every standard of the day, he should not have had any fame or any reputation. And it would have blown the minds of those people in power in that time that he would go on to, have, to leave the most powerful legacy of anyone who has ever lived. But it wasn't through violence or oppression or domination or even great wisdom or intelligence that he expressed his power. It was through loving kindness, ultimately and most powerfully expressed through the cross. This symbol that was supposed to represent the might, the violence of Rome, instead for millions has become a symbol for sacrificial loving kindness. The Apostle Paul in his letter to the Corinthians, he would actually say that to the Greeks, the cross is foolishness. This, it just didn't fit with their worldview, this idea that God could die on a cross. And today, the influence of that symbol and what it presents is the water we swim in. That kindness, fairness, love and compassion should be our highest ideals. Shown so powerfully in recent weeks and months through the sacrifice of so many of our frontline workers. But it's also those ideals that we judge society upon. And we've seen it in the words and the protests and demonstrations of people throughout the country where our culture has failed to live up to the ideals of kindness, compassion, fairness and love. But instead they have experienced oppression, racism and injustice. Jesus modelled something different 2,000 years ago. And it's him that we look to. As a church, it's him that we have as our guide. In his book, Dominion, the really well-known historian, Tom Holland, he describes the influence of Jesus uh, on culture so powerfully. He says this, To be a Christian is to believe that God became man and suffered a death as terrible as any mortal has ever suffered. This is why the cross, that ancient implement of torture, remains what it has always been, the fitting symbol of the Christian revolution. It is the audacity of it, the audacity of finding in a twisted and defeated corpse the glory of the creator of the universe, that serves to explain more surely than anything else the sheer strangeness of Christianity and of the civilization to which it gave birth. Today, the power of this strangeness remains alive as it has ever been, in the conviction of millions that the breath of the spirit like a living fire still blows upon the world and in Europe and North America and the assumptions of many more millions who would never think to describe themselves as Christian all are heirs to the same revolution a revolution that has at its molten heart the image of a God dead on a cross all of the love all of the compassion all of the kindness that have become the ideals of our culture they find their root in Jesus but not only that, we also see that power can be expressed more powerfully, not through violence or domination or oppression, but instead loving, sacrificial kindness. Now, one of the questions you might ask is, well, what about some of the violence we read about in the Old Testament? How do we connect that with what we read in the New Testament? That's a really great question. But one of the, the things to remember is that, that Jesus doesn't contradict the God of the Old. Instead, we read that he reveals what God has always been like. And to help you answer some of, that question, some of those questions, we've put some resources in the notes. And one of the best ways to answer these questions or to, to grapple with these questions is to go to an Alpha course. 
really great places, really safe spaces just to speak, to talk, to listen and to learn. And again, all of that's in the notes as well. Now we're going to read uh, from the Gospel of Mark in just a moment. And we're going to read a story that reveals both Jesus' kindness, it shows Jesus' kindness, but also it shows his view of authority and power and who the kingdom of God is for. So let's read Mark chapter 10, verses 13 to 16. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them and blessed them. This story, this moment, it reveals how the disciples viewed power, authority and who should have influence, who should have a say. It revealed the worldview of the time. That there are some who are worthy of our time and there are some that aren't. Jesus wouldn't want to meet with little children. They wouldn't be able to fund his, his ministry or they wouldn't be able to drop everything and follow him. They wouldn't be able to spread his message. And Jesus' reaction to this is a strong one. He was angry and he was indignant. But why was his reaction so strong? Well, firstly, there's just some blatant hypocrisy going on. How the disciples viewed these little children was exactly how the religious elite at the time viewed Jesus and his disciples. Not worth our time, irrelevant. How could Jesus, a poor carpenter and a group of fishermen and outcasts, have anything worthwhile to say? Even in the face of the miraculous, they still couldn't see beyond their own prejudice. And now this is exactly what the disciples were doing to those children. What could they have to offer Jesus? And yet Jesus welcomes them with open arms, embraces them and blesses them. What the disciples hadn't realised is that those, those children are just like us. We are helpless and powerless. And unless we realise that, unless we realise that the love, the kindness, the forgiveness that Jesus offers us is a gift, that his loving arms are open for us and waiting for us, no matter who we are or what we've done, then we've completely missed the beautiful reality of what Jesus came to do. Jesus knew the power that sin has over the human heart. Its orientation towards pride or greed or selfishness is so strong that we couldn't break it on our own. Facing the power of sin, we are as helpless as little children. And this is why Jesus came. He saw our brokenness. He saw our, our sin and our pain. But that did not lead him to pushing us away, but instead he came closer. Now this reveals so much of the kingdom Jesus came to bring about. It shows that you cannot earn your way into Jesus' kingdom. You do not need to be strong or powerful or wealthy or valuable in society's eyes. But instead, all you need to be is like little children, open, receptive, and running to Jesus, receiving the free gift of God's embrace. I remember when I was about 10 or 11, uh, I'd just gone to see Arsenal play at Highbury. Um, this was kind of in the peak glory years of Arsenal, you know, the years of Dennis Bergkamp, Thierry Henry, Patrick Vieira. It was a good time to be an Arsenal fan. And we were in the car park getting on with the coach. There was about maybe 30, 10 or 11 year olds, uh, me being one of them. And uh, I was the last to get on the coach and I turned around just to look, take one more look at the stadium and I noticed Arsene Wenger, the professor, the architect of all these glory years coming out the stadium right at that time. Now, I clocked him and then he clocked me, clocking him. And uh, his, his reaction wasn't really quite like Jesus. Instead of kind of opening arms, you could see the horror on his face as he realised that a coach full of 10 and 11 year olds are about to run over to him to get his autograph and to get a photo with him. 
Now, if he'd seen Lionel Messi in the car park, I'm sure his reaction would have been a little bit more embracing than it was towards me. And Mark in this gospel kind of goes and makes that point in the very next encounter we read about. After Jesus meets the little children, he meets the rich young ruler. Now, the disciples don't stop this guy from meeting Jesus. He is exactly the kind of guy you'd want on your team. Rich, young, a ruler, what more do you want? And yet this is what Jesus says. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. I love the comparison with this story to the one before. You again see that for the disciples, their view for who the kingdom was for was not how Jesus saw it. And I love that Jesus calls his disciples children, bringing to mind that previous encounter, trying to get into them that the kingdom of God is not like the kingdom of man. Jesus' kindness to those children was an expression of his kingdom and an expression of his grace and love. That he is for all people, young and old, rich and poor, men and women, from all nation and every race. And it cannot be earned through power or money or might or effort, but instead because of the loving, sacrificial kindness of Jesus on the cross. I find it utterly mind-blowing. So, how do we increasingly model this in our own lives? How do we look to Jesus and apply some of this stuff to our context? And how do we avoid falling into the trap that disciples fell into? Well, we've seen throughout this series that there is both the work that God does in us, um, the Holy Spirit does in us, but also practices and actions we can take ourselves. And firstly, I think it, it begins with recognising our identity in him, that we are his children. Everything we do and everything that we are flows from knowing that, that he, we are loved by him. That's how Jesus lived. He did everything because of the love he received from the Father. And if we know that our identity is as a child of God, then we know that's true of everyone, of all humanity. And we see the Imago Dei, the image of God in all people, of equal worth, of equal dignity, of equal value. We don't look at the rich young rulers of this world and think they are more worthy than the little children. We are all made in the image of God. So it's firstly knowing our identity as children. And secondly, we need to take action. Kindness is a practical, outlived act that we choose to do, whether it costs us something or not. And we've seen that so much over the last few weeks and months with the response to COVID-19. Both of the response from uh, frontline workers, but also volunteers up and down the country who are serving and volunteering and caring for the most vulnerable in their communities. And we've also seen the need for action in the stories and the experiences of so many people who are still suffering from racism and injustice in our culture, in our city today. But what about when a new cycle moves on? when the effects of this virus and racism is still taking its toll on the people in our communities. What will our community be doing in the months and years to come? 
And I recently learned of the uh, work of an educator called Neil Postman who created what he calls the information action ratio. Now what this ratio does is it shows the relationship between a piece of information and what action, if any, someone can take to respond. And John Tyson from New York, he described how this ratio applies to our culture today like this. He said that we know everything about that which we can do nothing about. And we know nothing about that which we can do everything about. Essentially what he's saying is that through social media and the digital age we are surrounded by, we know all of the challenges across the world, yet so often we feel so powerless to do anything about them. And, this re and the research institute Barna actually found that this is most true for millennials and Gen Z. They found that they have, they have high knowledge, in some cases expert knowledge, of the challenges that we are facing, but feel completely pow powerless to act. And what they found was this was a, a melting pot for anxiety. However, in the places where we actually live, where we can actually make a difference in our neighbourhood, in our relationships, on our street and in our city, are we taking the time to listen, to learn and to take action? Of course, we need to be kind with our words and, and kind with how we post on social media and all that stuff. But I think our culture is crying out for people who actually make a tangible difference in the places that they live through their embodied presence in those places, living out the values that Jesus came to bring. Coretta Scott King said that the greatness of a community is most accurately measured by the compassionate actions of its members. As a community, let's respond to the needs of our city with love, with kindness. Let's look to Jesus. Let's model the life that he showed us. But I think there's another way we can action kindness. For us as a church, we live in one of the most influential cities in the world. And many of us will be in positions either now or in the future uh, where we have significant power to make a difference. And so the question for us in the light of Jesus is how are we going to use that power? How are we going to use that ambition? How will that change our priorities? How will that change who we listen to, who we have around the table, who we hire? Will we use it for our own gain or as an opportunity to model Jesus's view of power? Jesus' view of power was not expressed through dominance or oppression or violence. It was shown through his kindness, ultimately and completely expressed on the cross. And as N.T. Wright said, we as followers of Jesus, we celebrate the revolution that happened once and for all when the power of love overcame the love of power. And it was this kindness that inspired the early church to love the poor, to love the outcast, the orphan and the widow, to break down barriers of, of nations and of race. And it's that kindness that should inspire us today. Let's take hold of that call for the church in the places that we live, in the communities that we belong to, with the power that we have to make a difference in this city. And so just to end, I'm going to pray for us, that we as a community, we would embody the kindness of Jesus in the city that we live. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your kindness and your goodness and your grace. We pray that your spirit would be with us, as we work in this city, as we live in this city, as we care for this city. Would you help us to be ambassadors of your kingdom? Would you help us to take hold of the mission you have given this church to be good news to this city? Would you empower us by your spirit? In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this talk from the Christchurch London podcast. To hear other talks or find out more about our Sunday services, head to ChristChurchLondon.org.